Good morning. He is risen. Amen. Good morning to those of you watching online as well. Thank you for tuning in. You know, one of the surprising things about the resurrection story, I think one of the most surprising things about the resurrection story is the reluctance of the disciples to believe it. Ever notice that? The reluctance of the disciples to, to originally or to initially believe what they were hearing and what they were seeing. The Bible says that there were a group of women who went to the tomb. They found it empty. And the angel announced to them, why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has come back to life again. And so with that good news, with that announcement, the ladies, the Bible says, rushed back to tell the eleven the good news. But, but look what the scripture says. But the story sounded like a fairy tale to the men. They didn't believe it. That's the Living Bible Translation. What they were hearing from the ladies sounded like a fairy tale. They didn't believe it. And even when Peter ran to the tomb to see for himself what had happened, the Bible says he went back home again wondering what had happened. He went back home again scratching his head, trying to figure out what in the world has gone on. Even for those who were closest to Jesus, it took some time for them to comprehend this amazing story. Now, if you're here today and you don't know a lot about Jesus and you don't know a lot about Christianity and all that kind of thing, first of all, I'm glad that you're here. I really am truly glad that you're here. But I just want you to know that if you're one of those people that you're a little bit reluctant to believe all of this stuff about the resurrection of Jesus, if you're reluctant to believe, you're in pretty good company. Because even the disciples of Jesus, His earliest followers, those most committed to Him, they were reluctant to believe the story of the resurrection. On that first Easter Sunday, they knew the tomb was empty. They didn't doubt that. They knew the tomb was empty. What they didn't know about was how the tomb was empty. Despite the evidence of the empty tomb itself, despite the testimony of the women who said, we've seen an angel and this is what the angel said, despite the fact that there were biblical prophecies throughout the Bible regarding this, despite the fact that they had been instructed by Jesus three times on their way to Jerusalem explaining that the Son of Man will be crucified, He'll be buried and resurrected, despite Jesus telling them three times, here's what the Bible says, but the story, look, the story sounded like a fairy tale to the, to the men. They didn't believe it. At least not at first. Think about this. Those who knew Jesus best, His disciples, those who revered Him enough to follow Him, those who stood there and watched Him die, had a hard time believing He was alive again. I want to open your Bibles to Luke 24, and I'll show you this. If you have your Bible or turn it on, if it's on your phone or your tablet, Luke 24, I want to look at this puzzling and fascinating story about the resurrection of Jesus. So let me tell you about the first 12 verses, Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses is the story of the women going to the tomb early on Easter Sunday morning and, and finding the empty tomb. And it's the story of the angel explaining to the women what had happened. It's the story of Peter running to the tomb trying to understand for himself and see for himself. And so we pick up now the story in verse 12. Now that same day, that is resurrection day, that same day, the, the same day the women went to the tomb, the same day the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. Uh, the same day the women ran to tell, tell the eleven, the same day that 
Peter ran to the tomb to check it out for himself. That same day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. More than likely, they were going home. They had been in Jerusalem, but now they're going back home. These disillusioned disciples are leaving their foolish dreams in in Jerusalem, and now they're going back home, broken, saddened, discouraged, disillusioned. They're going back home. It says in verse 14, as we pick up the story, it's a fascinating story, by the way. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They had heard the reports of the women that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive. And so they were talking about those kind of things on their way back home. They were talking about what Peter had said and what Peter said he had seen, the empty tomb and all of that. But, but they're discouraged and they're disappointed and they're disillusioned. They had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel, but their hope died on Friday. So verse 15 says, As they talked, and discuss these things. That, that phrase, that word there, discuss these things, is an interesting word because it literally has the idea in the Greek language <clears throat> that the discussion was quite heated. That they, they were more like in an argument as they were walking back home. In fact, Kenneth Weiss, the, the Greek scholar, says this was an animated, heated conversation based on the text, the Greek text. This was an animated conversation. Probably their hands are going, they're probably talking loudly, and they're, they're debating, they're almost arguing, if you will, uh, about the things that have occurred and what happened and what didn't happen and all that. And then we read these words, as they, verse 15, as they talked and discouraged, uh, discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus just started walking. Hey guys, how you doing? He just started walking. But it says in verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. In other words, they're debating. <coughs> Excuse me. They're debating and discussing all about Jesus. And he's, they don't know it, but he's walking with them. I mean, they know somebody's walking with them. They just don't know who he is. And he's walking with them as they're discussing and debating all of this. Now, he could have said, surprise! But that's not what he did. He does just the opposite. He hides himself a bit longer, and he lets the story unfold in an intriguing way. Verse 16, they were kept from recognizing him, and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Which kind of sounds like kind of a personal question, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you guys are out there talking out front, and I just walk up, hey, how you doing? What are y'all talking about? You know, that just seems like kind of a personal question, right? And that's exactly what Jesus did. He's, these two guys are walking and they're animated and it's a heated discussion. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, how you doing? What are y'all talking about? And so they tell him. Look, look what happens. <clears throat> Verse 17, he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And watch this, they stop walking. It says in verse 17, they stood still. In other words, they had been walking towards Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're debating and they're discussing. And it's a heated conversation. Jesus walks up and says, hey, what are y'all talking about? And when he asked them that question, they stop. They stood still, verse 17, their faces downcast. You could see it in their body language. You could hear it in the words. They are defeated. They are discouraged. They were disillusioned. Verse 18. One of them named Cleopolis asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
In other words, are you the only one in town that doesn't know what's been going on? Where have you been? How could you not know what's going on? Everybody's talking about this. How could you not know what's going on? And then, (laughs) I love verse 19. Jesus says, what things? Now, he knows what things, right? But Jesus just goes, what things? I don't, I wonder, in my mind, I just wonder if he had a little bit of a smirk on his face, you know? What things? What What are you talking about? One of the things that makes this story so intriguing to me is that we as the reader, we know the secret that the characters do not know. Right? We, we know the story. We know that Jesus is there, but they don't know that Jesus is there. It's kind of like when you watch a movie. The very first time you watch a movie, especially if it's one of those thrillers, you know, has a lot of twists and plots and all that kind of thing. You're, you're trying to figure everything out. You're trying to figure out, well, why did he do that? And I wonder what it meant that she went there. And why did they go uh, do that? And what does all that mean? And you're trying to, as you watch the movie, you're trying to understand it. You're trying to put it all together. Then when you get to the end, it all makes sense. When you get to the end, you understand. And, and now you've got a better perspective. Once you know the ending... However, you never watch that movie the same. You watch it a second time. Now you understand why he went there or why she did what she did or why they took that thing there. Now everything starts to fall into place. and You understand you've got a better perspective because you know the ending. Can I remind you that the first ones to hear about the resurrection, they didn't know the ending. They hadn't seen the movie. All of this was occurring for the very first time. We are reading it from a different perspective. We're reading it as if we've seen the movie. We know the ending. And so we're reading it from that perspective. But they had not seen the movie. They didn't know the ending. They were trying to figure it all out as it unfolded. And so we read these words in verse 19. Jesus says, what things? And they answer, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And watch this. He was a prophet, past tense. He was, past tense. And they didn't didn't say, He was Messiah. They had believed He was Messiah, but now, after His death, they apparently were reluctant to call Him that. Now they call Him a prophet. He was, past tense, a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Look at verse 21. In fact, look at it on the screen here. We had hoped, past tense, we had hoped he was the one. We had hoped he was the one. The one who would do what? We had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one they fully expected that Jesus would become their king and that Israel would finally be free from Rome. But all of that changed in their minds when they saw his cold, lifeless body on a Roman cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. We had hoped. But hope died on Friday. Continue the story. And what is more, second part of verse 21, what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Now there's one of two things that that could mean. Either Jesus said that after three days I'd rise again. He told them that 
several times. It may be there, that they were saying, uh, we remember he said after on the third day he'd rise again, but well, we haven't seen him. Or it may mean, it may be a reference to the Jewish belief that after the third day the soul left the body. I think that's probably what they were saying. And by the way, it's the third day. The soul's left the body by now. It's over. Verse 23. Or verse 22. In addition, some of the women amazed us and they went to the tomb early this morning and they, they didn't find his body. Notice they didn't say anything about a, a resurrected Jesus. They're thinking in terms of a dead body. They're talking about a body. See, their hope is, is, is dashed. But they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Jesus rebuked these disciples and led them in a Bible study in the following verses. It must have been an amazing Bible study to have Jesus teach you. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now don't miss verse 27. And beginning with Moses, first five books of the Old Testament are the books of Moses. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus starts walking through the scriptures with them. As they're walking home towards Emmaus, Jesus begins, hey, let's just talk about it. Do you remember what the scripture said? Do you remember what Moses wrote in the Old Testament? Do you remember what the prophets wrote in the Old Testament? He starts explaining to them, man, what a Bible study that must have been. Perhaps he started in Genesis 3.15. The promise of the Redeemer. And maybe he lingered in Genesis 22. As he said, do you remember what Moses wrote in Genesis 22 about Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice his one and only son? And maybe he stopped and explained the Passover in Exodus and explained the Day of Atonement to them. And do you remember what all of that was all about, what Moses said? And I'm sure he probably talked about the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and the suffering Savior. Maybe he explained the prophetic messages of, of Psalm 22 and Psalm 69. He just walked through the Bible, explaining the scriptures about himself. And here, that's what it says. He explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. You might want to underline that in your Bible. What was said in the Old Testament concerning himself. It's fascinating. Jesus didn't just show them that he was alive. He wanted them to know why he was alive. He wanted them to understand the biblical significance of what happened. So I want you to remember that. He wasn't just trying to convince them, I am alive. He wanted to show them from the scriptures the biblical significance of why he was alive. We pick up the story in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. It's nearly dark. Why don't you just stay here tonight? So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. <clears throat> this becomes a remarkable moment. Verse 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. There was something about that moment. When he took the bread and he began to break it up and he began to look to heaven and Pray to God. There was something about that moment. 
Maybe in their minds they flash back to the Last Supper. Or if they weren't there, maybe in their minds they flash back to when he took the bread and he broke it and he thanked God for it when he fed the 5,000. But there was something about what he did in that moment that become electric. Because look what it says. When he, verse 30, when he's at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And watch 31. Then, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Suddenly they recognized Jesus. Suddenly they're able to see what they have not been able to see before. Suddenly they're able to see and know that it's Jesus and up until this point they haven't been able to figure that out. It's kind of like the cross that's out on the hill. Uh, when you leave today, look over on the hill and you'll see that beautiful cross up there. And uh, My office faces the, the cross and my, my desk looks out the window. And so many days I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking out across that field at the cross. But here's the interesting thing. Most of the time I can't see it. Especially in the winter months. That wood blends in with the trees that are far behind it. And so when I look out over the field and I look for the cross, I, I can't see it. It just blends in with the trees. I, I can't see it. But later in the day when the sun changes, when the light moves, later in the day, especially when it gets to be around the golden hour, what they call the golden hour, later in the day when that light changes and it, all of a sudden the light shines on the cross and then I can't miss it. It's beautiful. That's what happened with the disciples. Those two walking to Emmaus. As they walked with Jesus, they couldn't see it. They, they couldn't see that it was Jesus. They were looking at him. Their physical eyes were looking at him. They just couldn't see it. They couldn't see who he was. It, just, it was just another person. But then, their eyes were opened. When they saw him break that bread and talk to the Father, there was something about that moment, and their eyes were opened. And all of a sudden, not only could they, not, could they see it, they couldn't miss it. They got so excited about what they were seeing. Now, everybody just kind of lean in. Those watching online, just, just, just listen to me for a minute. Let's just put ourselves in that situation. If that had been you, what would that moment have been like for you? When all of a sudden, you can see what you haven't been able to see yet. And then you know what happened? As soon as they were able to see him, the Bible says he disappeared. It's right there in the text. Look at it. It's amazing. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. As soon as they could see him, he was gone. He disappeared, literally disappeared, which was the first sign that this was something, that his body was now somehow different, wasn't it? The first sign that all of a sudden he can just disappear. Now, if that had been you, think about this remarkable moment for a moment. If that had been you, what would you have done? Would you have said, well, Ethel, let's just go to bed, and tomorrow we'll get up, and we'll, we'll go tell everybody about it tomorrow. That's not what you would have done. I'll tell you what you would have done. You said, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. Well, it's late. I know it's late. We've got to go back to Jerusalem. We've got to tell them what we've seen. That's exactly what they did. If you look at the text, that's exactly what they did. Yes, it was late at night. Yes, it was seven more miles back to Jerusalem. But look what it says they did. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Hey, hey, don't you remember how we felt? It's like, man, I've never had a Bible teacher like that one. 
our hearts were burning with what he was saying as he opened the scriptures. Verse 33. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. It's late, but the news that they have, they can't wait to report that news. They can't wait till tomorrow. They've got to go tell people today. And so they, they found the 11, verse 33. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together. Now, I've got to tell you that when we get to verse 34, I have misread verse 34 for years. It was not until this week that I finally started reading it correctly. Here's what I thought verse 34 said. That when they came in, this is Shorter's translation, okay? When they came in, they busted through the doors, and they're going to tell the 11 about everything that they've seen. And in fact, the way I've read verse 34 was this. Look at the text. It's true. The Lord has risen. And has appeared to Simon. I, I imagine that these two disciples from Emmaus are so excited. They're running back. They find the room where the disciples are. They bust through the door. And they're saying, it's true. The Lord has risen. And he's even appeared to Simon. And then it occurred to me as I was reading that this week. Is that why would they say the Lord has appeared to Simon? What's Simon got to do with this? Then I started doing a little digging. And if you look at the text very carefully, if you look especially at the Greek grammar, it makes it clear this was that the report was not coming from the Emmaus disciples. The report was coming from the eleven. So in other words, here's what happened. The two from, from Emmaus, they're excited. They come busting through the doors. They can't wait to share their news. But before they can say anything, the eleven say to them, Hey, it's true. Have you heard? It's true. He has risen. He's even appeared to Simon. Verse 35, then the two finally got their chance. The two finally got a chance to share their good news. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So many reports. They can't all be wrong. They're starting to understand. It's starting to sink in. Jesus is alive. But the greatest experience of all is about to occur in the very next verse. Verse 36 while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now he's starting to show up everywhere, isn't he? He's just popping up. And now, remember how he disappeared? Remember how he disappeared in, when he was in Emmaus? Now he just appears. And to make it even more dramatic, when you read John's account, John says that they were in a room and they had locked the doors. So he appears... And they know that nobody got up and let him in. He just suddenly shows up and they re recognize that nobody unlocked the door. And that's why we read these next words. They were startled, verse 37, and frightened, thinking they saw a what, church? A ghost. Because they knew nobody let him in. They knew the door was still locked. And yet there he is standing in their midst. Another indication that his resurrected body was somehow different from what it had been. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Come here guys, come here. Come here. Look at my hands. Touch them. See the nail prints? Look at my feet. See the nail print? A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. A ghost doesn't have a body. Verse 40. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
while they, were st- while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. In other words, it was too good to be true. That's really what the phrase means. They still didn't believe because it was too good to be true. They, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. And while they still did not believe, believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked him, do you have anything here to eat? I don't think he was hungry. I think he wanted to make a point. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, to which I would have said, do you have anything else? You got a Twinkie or something, you know? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And look what it says in verse 43. And he took it, and it doesn't say he took it and ate it, period. It says he took it and ate it in their presence. In other words, for them to see. Why was that important? He was trying to convince them he is not a ghost. When's the last time you saw a ghost sitting around eating broiled fish? He's trying to convince them he's alive. And then verse 44, the key verse. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. That is, translation, do you remember those three times on the way to Jerusalem? I stopped and I told you that the Son of Man would be arrested and would be beaten and would be crucified and would be buried and would on the third day rise again. Remember guys, I told you that. In fact, I went over it three different, three different times. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. Look at that word. There's that key word. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. I have it underlined in my Bible. Written about me. In the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms are the three divisions of the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible has those three divisions. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms or the writings. And so Jesus said, I I just want you to know, everything that's been written about me in your Hebrew Bible, everything from, from Moses to the end, everything written about me must be fulfilled. In other words, there's no part of Scripture that does not cover what Jesus was enduring, what Jesus experienced, and and the resurrection. In other words, there's no part of Scripture that does not bear witness to Jesus. Even the Old Testament bears witness to Jesus. His death, His burial, His resurrection. All of that is covered in the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. And then it says, verse 45, incredible verse. Then He opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Then, this, that's a, such an important word there. Then He opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Then he opened their minds, not just so that they could understand that he was alive. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Why is that so important? Because our faith is not built simply on the testimony of some eyewitnesses who say that Jesus is alive. Now that testimony is very important. It's it's critical and it's true and it's absolutely true that we have eyewitness accounts that Jesus is alive. But that's not what our faith is based on. Not primarily. Our faith is built on the fact that Jesus fulfilled every promise and prophecy that God made regarding our salvation. Let me say it to you this way. The resurrection is the exclamation mark behind every promise and every prophecy that God made about Jesus. 
That's what the resurrection is all about. And so Jesus wants them to understand the significance, not just that he's alive, but why he is alive. And so to help them understand why he is alive, he kept taking them back to Scripture. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul did the same thing. Later, years later, as he was writing to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that this is very, very important, that Christ died according to the Scriptures. He didn't just die, He died according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and raised, but He wasn't just buried and raised, He was buried and raised according to the Scriptures. That everything about Jesus, everything that He experienced during His death, burial, and resurrection... Every bit of that was according to the Scriptures. You see, God had a plan, and Jesus fulfilled every bit of that plan. I began this message by saying that one of the surprising things about the resurrection story is the reluctance of the disciples to believe it. And what Jesus did for those reluctant disciples, He can do for you. Do you remember what He did? He opened their eyes so that they could see what they've not noticed before. God may be doing that for you right now, that you're starting to see what you've never noticed before. You're starting to see in Scripture things you've never seen before, things you've never noticed. They've always been there. But now it's like your eyes are starting to get open to to truth. You're starting to see what you've never seen before. Jesus also opened their minds so that they could understand what they've never understood before. And maybe God's doing that for some of you. That here today, as you're looking at the Scriptures, it's starting to make sense. You're starting to understand that Jesus was actually fulfilling God's plan. The plan that God outlined in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. And now you're starting to understand what you've never been able to understand before. It's kind of like when you go to an eye doctor. I don't know if you've been to an eye doctor lately, but you look in that, into that big thing that looks like a giant set of binoculars. You know, you sit down in that chair and they put that giant set of binoculars in front of you and then he or her begins turning these dials and everything's kind of blurry and it's blurry and they keep turning the dials until that which is blurry becomes clear. It comes into sharp focus. That's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He kept showing them the Old Testament Scriptures. He kept going through the Old Testament Scriptures. And he kept turning the dial and turning the dial and turning the dial until that which was blurry became clear and in focus. Until they understood his his resurrection was the exclamation mark of every promise and every prophecy that God had made. But that's not the last chapter in the story that God's writing. Because if you go back, there's one more verse I want you to see. It's in verse 47. Well, let's start in verse 46. This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Would you notice that phrase, all nations? In other words, Jesus said, guys, I want you to have such clarity in understanding this. I want you to realize that this is a message the whole world needs. That there's not a person on planet earth who doesn't need to hear this good news. What is the good news? There's two words there. 
first word is the word repentance. That's our response to God. Verse 47, the word repentance is our response to God. That's when we decide, yes, I am indeed a sinner. And you know what? There's nobody here today, I don't think, that wouldn't admit that. Nobody watching online that wouldn't admit, you know what, I really am a sinner. Let me say something to you. If you've only committed one sin, you're a sinner. It only takes one sin to make you a sinner. Have you ever committed one sin? I know I sure have. In fact, my Bible tells me we all, we all have. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Every person in this room. Every person watching online. The Bible says, this is your condition. We all have sinned. Every one of us. We have a, a sin problem that we can't fix. That's the word repentance. Repentance means this is the way I address my sin problem. I decide that I want to turn away from it. I decide that I'm done with it. I'm repenting of it. I'm, with God's help, going to change. Walking away from it. That's repentance. Then the second word is the word forgiveness. Verse 47. Repentance is our response to God. Forgiveness is God's response to you. Forgiveness is what God offers everyone. Just like there is no one who has not sinned, there is no one who cannot be forgiven. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you've done it. I just want you to know, you've never committed a sin for which God won't forgive you. If you're willing to repent, God is willing to forgive you. And Jesus said, this message is so momentous. Guys, I want you to take it to every nation in the world. See, God wants you to hear about it today too. That's why it was written down. He opens our eyes and He opens our minds so that we can see what we've never seen before, so we can understand what we've never understood before. And He opens the Scripture so that we can see that God has a plan and you and I are part of that plan. The resurrection is proof that you can find forgiveness and you can experience salvation in Jesus Christ and you can live forever in heaven one day. The resurrection is proof, the empty tomb says, you don't have to fear death anymore. You don't have to fear death anymore. Not when your faith is in, is in the one who came up out of the grave. And so I like 1 Peter 1.3. I want to end with this verse. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose from the dead. Now, now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose from the dead. You bow your heads with me. Even those watching online, would you bow your heads for a moment? Let me talk to you. For those of you here in the sanctuary, there are cards in the pew rack there. Uh, if you're on the end of the pew, would you grab those cards and just pass them across? Just make sure everybody on the pew has a card. Would you just take a moment and do that? The, the, the cards on both sides of the pew. Just pass those cards. Whether you're a member, guest, doesn't matter. I'd like for everybody to get a card. It says, now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead. Could I ask you a question? Are you living in the hope of eternal life? Do you know that you know that you know Jesus? Has there been that time when you have repented of your sin, truly repented of your sin, and experienced the forgiveness that only God can offer you? You can do that right now.
right where you are, whether you're sitting on the lower floor, up in the balcony, or whether you're watching online, you can do that right now, right where you are. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you'll pray this prayer, there's nothing magical about these words, but if you'll pray this prayer from your heart, the Bible says you can and will be saved. You can and will be forgiven. Pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I admit that to you today. And God, I desire to turn away from my life of sin. Today I am repenting of my sin. And I'm turning to Jesus. Jesus, will you come into my life? I believe you died on the cross for me and in my place. Would you be my Savior? Would you cleanse my heart? And would you make me a new person? Thank you that you have offered me new life. Thank you that you have promised me a home in heaven. And thank you that you have forgiven me of every sin I've ever committed. And I praise you and I thank you. And I promise to live my life for you. In Jesus' name. Every head still bowed. Every eye still closed. You have that card in your hand? If you've prayed with me, your first step of obedience would simply be to let someone know that you've accepted Christ, that you've given your life to Jesus. The easiest way to do that is just mark that card. It has a, a place there where you can check, I've prayed to receive Christ as my Savior today. Just give us your name and your address. We're not going to hound you. We're not going to harass you. We want to celebrate with you and maybe send you some materials. Let, let me know. Would you please just let me know you've prayed to receive Christ today. Maybe there's other commitments you'd like to make today. Maybe it's I want to rededicate my life. You check that on the card. Or, or maybe it's I need to be baptized. You check that on the card. There, you can read the card. Mark that however you see fit. Whether you're a member or a guest, we'd love for you to fill that out. And then just take that card. As you're leaving, the offering plates are there. Just drop that in the offering plate as you're leaving today. Father, we celebrate who you are. We thank you for your love and your mercy. And we thank you most of all that we serve a living, risen Savior. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.